This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. Let's get to a little bit more of those COVID headlines. We talked about COVID-19 cases in the UK rising the most in the world as virus restrictions ended in England, New York City. No plans to renew indoor mask mandates. We know what's going on in LA, Southeast Asia, continuing to reel from a fresh wave of the virus. Well, earlier today on Bloomberg TV and radio, Dr. Anthony Fauci caught up with our own David Weston to talk about the rising cases and his plea to people. Check it out. But among unvaccinated people, that's a significant risk. And that's the reason why We are practically pleading with people to please, if you're not vaccinated yet, seriously consider getting vaccinated because this is a nasty virus, particularly if you're unvaccinated. All right. Of course, Dr. Anthony Fauci there earlier on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg TV. Let's see what our next guest has to say about all of this. Dr. Justin Zaghi is with us. He's chief medical officer at L.A.-based HEAL. They provide telehealth services and doctor house calls to over 75 million Americans. He's on the phone in L.A. Dr. Zaghi, good to have you here. How are you? And tell me what you're seeing when it comes to COVID cases specifically out there on the West Coast. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Sure. Um, You know, You're right. I'm based in Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles, there's been a significant rise in COVID cases, over 100% in the past two weeks. And it is quite concerning, and as a result, as you know, uh, uh, Los Angeles has reinstated the mask mandate. Um, And, you know, there are breakthrough cases happening. Obviously, vaccination is the most important thing for, for people to do. Um, and even among those who are vaccinated, there are some breakthrough cases. So we are seeing some patients uh, who have been vaccinated and are getting the vaccine. That being said, those who are vaccinated um, have a much lower likelihood of ending up in the hospital or of dying. And so we, we do strongly urge all of our patients to get vaccinated. Of those people who are not vaccinated and get this COVID-19 as a result of the Delta variant, how bad is it? It can be quite severe. It's, in fact, it's the most contagious and uh, we think the most severe strain of the COVID-19 virus. Um, It's thought that this is actually 215% more contagious uh, than the original strain, right? Which explains why it's spreading like wildfire and why people who've even been vaccinated are getting it. However, the distinction is that if you have been vaccinated and you get it, uh, there's a, there, you'll be much less likely to have severe consequences, meaning much lower likelihood of dying from the vaccine, much lower likelihood of ending up in the hospital, and also less severe symptoms just generally. You may have some, you know, cold, cold-like symptoms, cough, uh, fever, and in some cases it can be more severe, but generally if you're vaccinated, that's the best line of defense we have. The country overall, and I feel like the world overall, continues to, in a large way, of course, it's not a straight path forward, continue to reopen, but it's tricky. Do the lifting of restriction, restrictions, excuse me, and the continued reopening make you nervous? You know, I think it's, it's a balancing act, right? Uh, keeping things closed has significant consequences, um, 
on everyone, right? We've, we've heard of the impact of the lockdown on school children, for example, and the impact it has on their development with the CDC coming out and saying that we need to reopen schools because of the impact of the lockdown on children. Similarly, you know, we were just hearing on the headlines about the impact on the stock market and travel um, and people's mental health. You know, I'm seeing a lot of patients with depression, anxiety from the lockdown. And so there, there is a significant cost uh, associated with the lockdown and with these restrictions. Um, and at the same time, for a long time, it has been our best defense against COVID-19. The, the silver lining here is that with vaccination, you know, that will free us up to open up even more, right? And will allow us to avoid these, these restrictions and will help us to return to more normalcy. It's, it's, it's really a balancing act, but again, right. if I can give one, one, uh, you know, one message to, to our listeners here is if you have not yet been vaccinated, to please do, do consider getting vaccinated uh, because this is, this is our way of freeing ourselves from the shackle of COVID-19 and going back to more normalcy. What's your thoughts on people wearing masks, even if they're vaccinated? You know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm as difficult as it is in Los Angeles with wearing indoor masks. I do think it's the right call, right? Because we have been seeing significant rise in cases. And, you know, whereas a complete shutdown has significant imp- impact and is really challenging to do, simply telling people to wear a mask when they're indoors is less restricting than, you know, not leaving the home at all or limiting contact completely. And I, I do think that, it, you know, given, given that we've, we're seeing breakthrough cases and people who are vaccinated, mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to have people wear face masks indoors, right? And I think that this, this will just help protect both the vaccinated and unvaccinated people in our, in our communities. Um, and just a way to, to mitigate the, the growth of the, of the uh, virus until more people are vaccinated. Great to check in with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Justin Zaghi. He's Chief Medical Officer at Heal on the phone in L.A. Check out their website, their business, where they are doing telehealth and doctor house calls, growing 600% since May due to the COVID-19 demand. Of course, he is Chief Medical Officer at Heal, as we mentioned. Uh, they are L.A.-based. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. All right, let's get to it. An online story at Bloomberg.com and at BloombergBusinessWeek.com, I should say. And who knew from the iconic Weber to the BBQ guys, grill makers are the hottest thing when it comes to post-pandemic IPOs. Let's get into what's going on. Joining us is Bloomberg News deals reporter Crystal C and Bloomberg Business Week editor Joel Weber, both in our interactive broker studio. Are you grilling a lot? You know, my you would think that um, I would grill every day since my last name is Weber, and it's spelled <laughs> the same way. So let's but just get bum. that out of the out of the way to How start did I with. Miss that? I'm, I'm not related. Jeez. If I were related, you know, I I, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Um, I would be, you know, getting ready for an IPO um, exactly. at a grill. Uh, but I, you know, the story is really interesting. I think because it speaks to. I mean, do you remember like not that long ago, Carol, <laughs> where we were talking about like the dearth of companies that were in the public markets or going public, mar- going public. And then all of a sudden, you know, we just had a huge change to that. And companies like Weber and, and now Traeger, um, who you would think would have remained private for as long as they wanted, are, are testing the right. public markets. 
Yeah, exactly. So Crystal, come on in on this and your story here in terms of what we're seeing, because it is a really hot part of, no pun intended, pun intended, a hot part of the IPO market. Yeah, actually, there are two IPOs, like you mentioned, Traeger and Weber. There's also a SPAC deal. And after we published a story, we actually found out there's a fourth company in the grill space going public. It's called Solo Stove. So like, I think people are just like wondering, like, why are there so many grill companies? And the biggest question, though, is as everybody starts going out again, like, are these companies going to be as hot as they were during the pandemic? And that's the question that we really try to answer here. And so, first of all, why why do we think that um, these companies who have been private and clearly, you know, had a good run in the private market for so long, why do we think they're going public all of a sudden at the same time? Yeah, so the interesting thing about this is that they're not using the proceeds to grow the company. Like you said, they've been around for the longest time. They're actually very established. They have, they're very profitable. A lot of the existing investors are actually using this as a good opportunity to cash out. So as equity market is at all-time high, what's better way to do it other than do an IPO? And Do I hear top? <laughs> Peak? It sounds I mean, right. We should it's hot it? for sure. Is it, is that, I mean, I guess the question is on the other side of the pandemic. We are a grilling family. My husband's out there in December, January grilling often uh, on our porch. But I mean, does the grill craze continue yeah, we, we asked that question. The banker that I spoke to from Citigroup, he was saying that he grills actually when he was working from home. So this is the potential hybrid working model. You know, if you're home and you you have a lunch break, you can just go out for a 15-minute break, grill a steak or grill like a, a burger and come back in. So that potential longevity of this hybrid working model could benefit them but also he's saying that people are picking it up as a hobby it's not just that a one-time purchase you're also buying the accessories you're also like topping up on your existing grill so even though that one time big ticket item was bought this year there are potential purchases coming up my my joke on this story (laughs) when we were first kind of kicking it around was like to me you know the weber especially it's like this is a hundred year old piece of technology that really has not changed at all it's like you put fire in a metal thing and and get what you get and what's interesting though is as i sort of like started reading around the story there is actually some tech going on that's pretty great too um and and crystal what, what are what why are um grilling heads so excited about where the two companies have gone it's become like a IoT device almost. A lot of these grills, especially the higher end model that could cost like thousands of dollars, they are tech enabled. So you can connect it to your Wi-Fi. There's an app and you can control the temperature. So you don't really have to like stand around and wait for your meat to smoke for 14 hours. You can just go to bed and next the next morning it's there. So that really just, you know, transformed the company into a bit of a tech company and obviously the tech valuation is very favorable well that i mean the other thing is right there are it's there's the grills we're a grill and a smoker house i mean i've woken up in the morning or in the middle of the night and you know there's brisket that's been cooking for hours i mean that's another part of this story right i I think the other part of the story is that i'm i I need a a, an updated invite to come over to your house Um, it's really good for a while it's really good yeah but that's true like people often have more than one of these devices like you have a you, you have different needs and people are getting more and more into these cooking hobbies and you have all these cooking shows that are building big bucks and they often advertise on these YouTube cooking shows or like uh, magazines that are food related. 
So yeah, it's it's a big business. I still can't believe I didn't think Weber. I, I'm really upset. I'm, I, I'm shocked. <laughs> um, I'm a you little know, slow today. The, the other thing that I, I, it bears mentioning here is like, there, sure, there's the company aspect of that, but the the Mannings actually figure into this one. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about um, what Eli and, and Peyton have pulled off. Yeah, they are actually existing back of BBQ Guys, which is a retailer for barbecue grills, and they're going public through a SPAC, we've reported. Um, I mean, SPAC is another hot topic of the year and the past two years, and a lot of the SPAC deals tend to be unprofitable companies or people or, or companies that are looking into very, very far ahead in the future, like the space traveling, electric vehicles. So it's not often that you get actually a profitable company that has an established track record. So this could really get people excited, just not just because of the grilling element, but that it seems like a legitimate company. So can I throw in pools into this? Why not? Because that's part of it. I do not have a pool. D- I have in. a city backyard. It's really small. <laughs> um, so pools are part of it, right? That they have also taken off. Yeah. It's a, part of this story. It's the entire home improvement trend that we saw the past year. At least three pool companies have gone public in the past year. All have seen shares uh, rose more than 40% during this period. So everything that's that involves your immediate surrounding, i.e. your home, is getting an upgrade, and yeah. all of these companies are benefiting. And it makes me just think, like, especially <laughs> off of today's headlines and everybody getting um, cold feet, it's like, you know, this is exactly what that trade's about, which is, like, how, how can you find uh, uh, some companies that are, are benefiting from, you know, longevity of people staying at home? Right, right. This, like, peak growth idea or peak, pan, you know, pandemic plays. Having said that, Robinhood is also something, just to do a quick, before you leave, Robinhood going public, how do we read that? Is that a sign of a peak in the market or something else? They are also a pandemic beneficiary. Yeah. They actually acquired a lot of volume, a lot of users during this, you know, work from home period where people had not much to do except for sitting home and trading stocks. And what we know is that they are going to list on July 29th and a 10-day work show all done virtually. And they will have a huge component in the IPO allocated to retail investors, which are their own users. It will be allocated through their platform, which is yeah. something that has only been done like one or twice. All so right. it will be interesting how it turns out. All right, Joel, given a choice between a grill, a smoker, a pool, and a piece of Robin Hood, what would you take? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can also say none of the above. Uh, I'll take, I mean... Uh, being a Weber, even though I'm not related to the Weber, there is nothing I can, you know, just embrace the namesake, I think, and go with the grill. How did I miss it? For the weekend show, I'll have to work it in. Joel Weber, (laughs) editor of Bloomberg Business Week here in our Interactive Brokers studio, along with Crystal C., deals reporter at Bloomberg News. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes' Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. All right, let's get to it, because the U.S., U.K., and their allies formally attributed the Microsoft Exchange hack to actors affiliated with the Chinese government and accused the Chinese government of a broad array of malicious cyber activities escalating last week's tensions between the White House and China. That's one of our big macro stories today that we're going to get into, plus how China's crackdown on ride-hailing giant Didi raises a lot of questions about the future of foreign investment in Chinese startups. It's Two big themes that we've been talking about ongoing with our own Andy Brown. He is Bloomberg New Economy Editorial Director, and he joins us on this Monday on the phone in New York City. Um, Andy, let me just start with, um, first of all, the headline here about the U.S., the U.K., and their allies, you know, formally pointing the finger at the Chinese government for that Microsoft Exchange hack. Um, I don't know. How do you assess the damage of something like that, or how do the two sides navigate through something like that? 
Yeah, well, this this is this really is huge. Um, uh, this has been going on for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it, it, you know you you have to recognize that this this uh, these accusations of Chinese cyber uh, cyber attacks have been poisoning U.S. China relations for more than a decade. Um, and this one really sort of recalls an episode that I reported on uh, extensively. It was about it was about a decade ago mm-hmm. um, when Chinese military hackers got into Google's servers and came very close to stealing Google's source code, mm-hmm. and that triggered a whole chain of events, which ultimately led to Google exiting China or taking its um, its search engine out of China. This one, I think, is significant. That at Microsoft uh, is at the heart of it, another iconic uh, U.S. tech company, uh, but also one that has invested over the years massively in China in spite of not getting much revenue out of China at all. I mean, Microsoft has been so dedicated to China's economic and technical development. Uh, It has its largest um, R&D unit in the world, facility in the world, outside of the United States in China. So, you know... Layer on top of that, what we've been seeing in terms of the Chinese government's crackdown on big Chinese tech companies, concerns about information. We see it, as you write about, uh, again, about Didi. Um, what does it mean longer term, Andy, when it comes to foreign investment in Chinese companies or in China at large? You know better than all of us uh, and anybody who's been reporting on business news for a long time is that you know, global multinational companies, all they wanted to do is have some kind of presence in China and were really kind of willing to do anything to have some kind of footprint on the ground. Does that change going forward because of all of this that's going on? Look, I, I think I think you have to see this in the context of a steady deterioration uh, in U.S.-China relations. I mean, it, it just seems like we're getting you know revelations almost daily. Um, uh, you know, it, it, so just in the last couple of days, the Biden administration has warned U.S. companies against doing business in Hong Kong. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, U.S. Treasury Secretary, has announced that she's not going to restart the security and economic dialogue, which has been the prime platform for U.S.-China negotiation on their bilateral relationship since the George W. Bush administration. Janet Yellen also, in an interview with The New York Times, um, has called into question whether or not the U.S. is... um, going to, you know, is going to keep to this uh, the trade agreement uh, that was the crowning achievement of, um, you know, the, the, the last Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it really is all sort of falling apart. And then, you know, you look at, you look at this episode um, with Didi and the announcement basically by the Chinese side that they're, uh, they're, not, gonna, that they're not gonna allow you at, at Chinese companies to list in the US. And now you start getting capital market decoupling on top of all of the rest of it. So Andy, there are worries, right? And then there are the financial markets and investors who say, yep, I'm worried, but I still see opportunity. You actually caught up with one that I think is a really key voice in trying to figure out what does this mean? What are the investment implications um, when it comes to what's going on in China? So I think two things. First of all, 
um, investors still largely see opportunity in China. That the tech investors, in particular, see China as being, you know, the the the, the fastest growing source of consumer demand in the world, and so they're going to be there. Um, that's the first takeaway, regardless of everything that's going on. But what they are seeing is a lot of disruption in the near term. The reason that chi- that China was actually encouraging its tech companies to list outside of China is because the regulators. Within uh, the financial regulators within China, understood that Chinese markets simply weren't ready for that volume of IPOs.、Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen now, according to the investors that I've been talking to, is that they're going to list now in, in in China. Which, and by the way, it takes a lot longer to list in China than it does in the United States. And this is potentially going to deter uh, uh, investment in startups and、uh, damage China's entire innovation ecosystem. So there will be some implications. It definitely. Yeah, a real, real,、yeah. real short-term, real short-term disruption、uh, in you know the the you know people forget actually you know that that the initial wave of Chinese tech companies were funded and nurtured by foreign investors, most of them U.S. investors, and、right. even though that balance has now shifted, where most of the money is coming from China. Foreign investors still have a critical role to play、uh, in the development of Chinese technology, and this calls into question、right. whether or not they're going to be able to freely invest. Well, I highly recommend everybody check out Andy's latest column because it does go- have a, his interview he did with Gary Reichel, who he and his firm have invested in college endowment funds and a number of Chinese unicorns. So there's this incredible back and forth between Andy and Gary. Andy Brown, thank you, editorial director of Bloomberg New Economy. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, but you let me drive. Oh no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home, honey? Please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, just about、uh, ten and a half minutes left until today's closing bell. Charlie, of course, breaking down、uh, those major equity averages. We are down across the board,、uh, just off our lows of the session. But there is a question out there. You know, is economic growth has it peaked? So let's get to it with our market close guest. Time for the drive to the close. Deepak Puri is chief investment officer of Americas over at Deutsche Bank Wealth.、Uh, back with us on the phone from New York City. Deepak, good to have you here with us. So. What do you see as the reason for equities predominantly being lower today? Thank you, Carol. Good afternoon.、Uh, I think today's move is uh, actually, uh, you know, part of it can be explained by the the COVID the variant Delta creating some、uh, reasons in the world to create,、uh, you know, short term lockdowns. I think there is a concern that this、uh, reopening is multi speed, multi region. So. Not everywhere you're seeing、uh, this reopening、uh, trade working, and also the, the CDC director just、uh, yesterday saying that、uh, the pandemic is still very much alive in the states、uh, for those who are unvaccinated, and which is quite a substantial number of individuals. So I think 
you know, to expect that we're out of the pandemic just yet might be a little bit too premature. I think uh, the pandemic is going to have long shadows on policy, on on markets. And uh, what today we are seeing is, I think, predominantly related to the concern that the reopening reopening story might uh, take uh, a while to really get uh, get going. So having said that, are, re- are you redoing your market models? Uh, well, we do our strategic models at the start of the year, which is a long-term view of the markets. And, and there, given the valuation levels that we have been for the last uh, you know, few months, uh, we did uh, revise lower our equity market returns for the next 10 years. Having said that, you know, the short-term tactical models, you know, we are looking at beyond a lot of these peaks, be it peak in uh, you know, economic growth. I think rather than just rolling over, I think we have plateaued. And you're going to see start to see moderation in the economic growth numbers. Same could be said for you know EPS growth number that we're going to see in the second quarter. I think chances are in the second half of the year you're going to start seeing moderation in uh, peak uh, earnings growth. So peak economic growth, peak earnings growth, most likely behind us. Then you're looking at the policy stimulus, both from fiscal and monetary side. And I think there's good. Uh, you know, case to be made that even the big uh, fiscal and monetary impulses may be also behind us. So I think when you take all of these things together, Carol, uh, uh, you know, a good rationale can be made that the markets, which are still, you know, above double digits here to date, let's not forget that, uh, might be, uh, you know, taking some pause here. Right. And it's not like we're falling out of bed. And forgive me. And our Dave Wilson, I thought, gave us some really smart perspective on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg TV earlier today and talked about the conviction to the downside or perhaps lack thereof. I mean, big tech, there are gains there. Small cap, which have really taken a beating over the last few weeks, few months. Uh, We've definitely seen a pullback there. They're not off as much as the bigger, broader market averages. Gold isn't you know, we're not seeing gold up a lot. So when you put that together, to me, it feels rather orderly in terms of the pullback and and maybe to be expected considering the run-up that we've had. Absolutely. I mean, I think we we need to keep in mind that once a year, the markets do correct, right? You you do see a 10 plus percent pullback and three or four times during the course of the year, you're going to see a five plus percent retracement. And and we haven't had one in quite some time. What we have seen, however, is what I would call rolling corrections, where rather than Mm. a broad-based market correction, you've seen certain sectors of the market go through, you know, uh, a pullback or a correction. You know, it started with, uh, you know, uh, last year it was the the value cyclical plays they corrected. And earlier this year, it was the tech stocks and some of the other you know, high-flying lanes, be it on SPAC, innovation, ESG. Uh, so a lot of those things, I think, are still a concern. And hence, being selective uh, really makes a lot of sense. And and here, I would advise that, you know, you could have your base rationale in terms of if you are really sensitive to heightened inflation risk in your portfolio, maybe then you want to be uh, have a little bit more bias towards defensive. If your biggest, you know, uh, positive biases towards the reopening, then maybe it's a good time to start laying into some of these value names that have been clobbered most recently, right. uh, given this reopening hiccup. Because I do feel that, you know, it's not all end for the for the leisure, entertainment, airlines and cruise industry stocks. These are going to come back once you start seeing more clarity in terms of where we are with the Delta variant.
So markets may be reacting like they're supposed to, right? This progression, this whole idea, I think it's really smart, this idea of rolling correction, right? The markets are looking at what's happening and reacting and markets, you know, hopefully, you know, are an indicator of kind of what's to come uh, and, and kind of foreshadowing. And so we're seeing the evolution as we move through this recovery, which everyone has been reminding us, uh, including all the Fed officials, but market watchers, CEOs, it's not a health officials. It's not a straight path forward. Uh, it, it, it isn't. And, and I think the only concern that I have here, Carol, is really what the bond market is saying, which yeah, has been the point. case, right, for, for quite some time. You know, when you look at a 10-year number, you know, yields at uh, 1.18, I mean, that's really telling me maybe the bond market is going beyond the recovery and really looking at what the terminal rate uh, when the next time Fed starts to hike, which is still years away as per the most recent Fed uh, you know, dot plot, uh, maybe the terminal rate that we are going to get to for this economy is not going to be even close to what we had in the last cycle, which was 2.5%. So I think that, to me, is a little bit of an area of concern um, that bondholders, you are really struggling. Uh, the financial you know, repression is uh, up and running you know, full steam ahead. And, do, uh, and well, also, well, let me just ask you though: Do you think the bond market story narrative and the equity market narrative, especially on a day like today, are in sync? They make sense, or are they at odds with one another? Is the equity market still too optimistic compared to what you're seeing in the bond market, or is the bond market too pessimistic? I would say it's the the latter. I, th- I think the bond market is a bit more pessimistic than what uh, even the real, you know, economic data sentiment indicators. Uh, you know, you look at soft and hard data from the mm-hmm. economy, what they're suggesting. But that could also be a function of the the bond market, especially when you're looking at ten year, uh, you, you know, number. It's yeah. a little bit further out, right? You, you, when you look at stock market especially the earnings, they are for the next for this quarter and the next quarter. So I think there's a little bit of a uh, difference in terms of the time frame we are talking about. But the bond market has been concerned with regards to, you know, the Fed uh, dot plot. It seems to me that the bond market is just not ready uh, for any talk of tapering either. And maybe that's going to be the real test, you know, in the next few months mm-hmm. uh, when the Fed does starts to you know telegraph with, at what stage it's going to start implementing this tapering program. Right. Uh, but I do feel that the, the bond market is definitely a much more pessimistic view of, uh, of the reopening story. Yeah. And, and maybe the debt overhang. Yeah it, certainly, it. Yep. it certainly feels that way. Deepak, thank you so much. Deepak Puri, Chief Investment Officer of America's over at Deutsche Bank Wealth, uh, with us on the phone in New York City. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.